possibly falling on deaf ears, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The podcast whose magic eight ball always says, ask again later. Here is one man who sneezes with his eyes wide open, it's Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Hello, everybody. It's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast coming at you from beautiful, sunny, and hot and sweaty Cave Creek, Arizona, right in the middle of the summer. How did that happen? Poor planning on my part, I guess. Anyway, we are so happy to have you joining us today. Uh, you just heard the voice of my Canadian nephew, Drew McMillan, introducing our podcast episode for today and stating <laughs> some say without uh, without any reason stating the fact that i am your medicare expert i've been a medicare expert for a long time but i don't know everything there is to know about it however i can offer you the opportunity to become a medicare expert in your own right and it won't take you more than probably an hour and a half and that is to buy a copy of my book on either Amazon.com or on BarnesandNoble.com and uh, sit down with maybe a stiff drink or the, the refreshing beverage of your choice and go through that book page by page. You won't take more than 90 minutes, I'm guessing, unless you uh, move your lips while you read. That always adds a little extra reading time. But at the end of that period of reading this very light and to-the-point tome you will be a medicare expert just like me not exactly like me because i know a few little details secrets tricks of the trade that uh, most people reading my book will not know because i've taken out all the boring and confusing stuff and i've basically painted a picture drawn the diagram of medicare in such a way that everybody is going to find it to be a simple and understandable explanation of what Medicare is all about and what you have to do to uh, enroll in Medicare and to take advantage of all that Medicare has to offer. And after having read the book, after having maybe spoken to me, maybe asked me to act as your agent, which is what I fervently hope that everybody will do, you will eventually find yourself as a full-fledged Medicare participant with uh just the the big grin that goes with having achieved a major victory in life. And I will applaud you when you have that grin on your face, because then you can turn and go through Medicare, uh, the, the Medicare landscape without really ever looking back again. Having made the good choices that I suggest at the outset, uh, you're going to be relieved of the burden of having to be a Medicare expert, uh, Pretty much for the rest of your life. The only option might be drug plans, but I'm always here to hold your hand through that process of looking to see whether your existing drug plan is as good as you thought it was when you bought it, or if there's a better one laying around. So other than that, your Medicare work is done when you've read my book, followed my suggestions, and uh, we have uh, come to agreement with the Medicare options that uh, I think are best for most people. Now, when I 
uh, describe that book. I also have in mind those who listen to this podcast but maybe don't want to read a book. Well, that's why I have somebody like Randy Carson available to keep me on the task because, as everybody knows, once the um, imagination starts working, once the um, the uh, uh, <laughs> once the uh, thoughts go flying out, sometimes I lose track of uh, what what we're doing here. What are we uh, What are we on track for? And so Randy always brings me back into the uh, exact job that we're here to accomplish. And so I'm going to ask Randy to uh, say a few words while I clear my throat. Good morning, Doug. I'm glad to see you. You're looking particularly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. And, you know, with your Bailey. Oh, that's from Grand Bailey Island. Yards. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, I, Bailey Yards. Have, yeah. And what is the Bailey Yards? You know and I know, but maybe the audience doesn't know. It is uh, essentially the largest switch yards uh in the united states in the uh, world i think to, i think yeah i think it's in the world uh obviously put together and controlled and uh, used by union pacific railroad right. out of uh, omaha nebraska but it is quite a quite a sight to see and uh you know your fun fact for the day is it's a de- designed in such a way that most of the switching can occur without engines it's uh there's in various inclines in the yard designed to let uh, rail cars just roll to their destination. I think they call it humping. And what they do is they'll take Hump. an engine, put a bunch of cars on uh, a little incline hill. And when they roll down the other side, the switches are set. So they go onto the siding and join the cars that are already on that siding to make up a train that's going to go someplace. That's, that's cool. My, I didn't know my that. Understanding. Well, that's my understanding of the uh, workings of a yard. They don't want to burn all the fuel to push those cars around, so they use the humping process and let gravity do some of the work. But the cool thing about the Bailey Yards is you can go take a tour. They will take you up in the tower and show you how a railroad uh, classification yard really works, and I can't wait to do that. I've got the shirt not because I went there, but because my friend Roy went there and knew that I would uh, enjoy it, and so he got the shirt for me as a reminder that I should have that on my list of places to go. Yeah, you you really should. Uh, I've never been there. I've heard about it. I've uh, I've had a number of people that I've known have worked there, but I've actually never been there to see it. So it would be a very, very high on my list of things. Do you have a bucket list, Doug? I don't have a bucket list, but I don't need one because I've got Roy to, to experience the things that I should have in my bucket list. In fact, you're going to be meeting Roy. I'm going to drag him in here for a, an episode at some point because he has some unique engagement with Medicare that uh, we might find some uh, interest in or some some benefit from hearing about his experiences. He's had some well, unusual experiences. So. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, anyway, I, there's a couple things that I always uh, will touch on. We uh, will touch on usually now as opposed to the end, but uh, I've, I've asked for the last couple episodes for people that have things on their mind that we haven't touched on in terms of answers to questions, because Medicare is a hugely complex situation and uh, very fear-invoking for some people, but Doug can straighten that all out for you. And you can write him at dbj at mlmmailbag.com 
Or obviously you can buy his paperback, Medicare for the Lazy Man, easiest and simplest guide ever, the 2022 version with the green numbers, or get a Kindle version so you can read it electronically, or any of any combination there is, any combination of the above, but definitely get one because it will be well worth your money. I'll touch on some other things later on, but for now, I'm going to turn it over to Doug. Well, I thought he was going to take a nap the rest of the podcast episode because that's all the important stuff that he says at the end of the episode. But uh, now you have heard it earlier, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you were writing. Hope you were taking notes. I've got a couple of interesting things that I saw that may be of interest to the audience. One of them is about melanoma. This caught my interest because one of my neighbors here in Arizona has contracted melanoma on the top of his head. And he's got hair. It's not like he's bald. So he has uh, had to have a, a surgeon scal- or scalp him. I, that's probably a little harsh. Um, keep cutting away. He went through a really horrible week where every morning he got up, didn't know what the content of the telephone call from the doctor was going to be. And the doctor's office would call middle, middle of the morning and say, nope, we sent the sample that we cut out to the lab and they said we haven't got enough we have to do more cutting so he and his wife would then drive to the uh to the place to the uh the medical uh office and have more of his scalp on the top of his head cut off and then they would put that in a a container, send it off to the lab in Tucson, which is about two hours away, and then get a lab report later that day. And the next morning, they would call my neighbor and say, guess what? We need to do more cutting. So come on in. Uh, And they would get in the car and drive over there. What a horrible way to spend a week being hacked on five times, you know, once each day for five days of the week. Finally, the lab report came back very clean and I have been watching the progress on the round circle of skin that they removed from the top of his head. Looks like a fryer tuck to tell you the truth, but that round circle where they have removed the skin, uh, two things about it. First of all, it's shrinking. I can see that every, every time I look at it, it's um, smaller. So his healing process is going along nicely. And the other thing is that they got all the melanoma. They say that there's no danger of him having it spread to any other part of his body. And so I'm hoping for a long, happy, uh, you know, period of uh, recovery and no further spread of the melanoma cancer. And it's reminded me to stay out of the sun because frankly, I am, probably subject to it. Uh, I've had a bunch of basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma from my early days in the sun. I think it comes to get you decades after you've actually had the exposure. So anyway, I ran across an article that says that melanoma's glucose addiction offers hope for new treatment. Now, this is from April of 2014. This is a long time ago. I don't know if they've actually successfully use this treatment, but uh, it says here, melanoma cells are dependent on glucose to grow and spread. Melbourne researchers, and that must be Melbourne, Australia, I'm guessing, they have found paving the way, uh, they found this uh, knowledge, paving the way for therapies that can halt cancer growth by blocking its fuel source. 
melanoma is the most deadly cancer in Australia. Yep, that's Melbourne, Australia. It claims 1,500 lives each year. Without treatment, the life expectancy is around eight months from diagnosis. Around 40% of melanomas are driven by mutations in the BRAF gene, and the melanoma relies on glucose to drive its aggressive growth. Now, the study was led by some people whose names are not really going to be important to Americans, and it was published in the Journal of Cancer Discovery. The researchers saw a number of patterns in clinical practice and set out to understand the scientific mechanisms that underpin the changes in patients. They noticed that tumors driven by that gene, the BRAF gene, had particularly high use of glucose, which was turned off very rapidly after drug therapy. And this indicated that the medication was working. While we know these drugs are incredibly effective in patients who have this particular mutation, it will only stop them growing for a period of time, sometimes years, but unfortunately, sometimes it only keeps them under control for weeks. The researchers also noticed that before the tumors started to grow again, melanoma's glucose supply was turned back on and became resistant to the effects of the drug they were using to shut off the melanoma supply or the glucose supply. The team used a series of different experiments over three years, including genetic analysis, cell culture analysis, and tests incubating cells with drugs to piece together what was occurring. We found that the cells were addicted to glucose in their need to grow. Some were so addicted that they would kill themselves as soon as the supply was threatened, while others were able to survive. The next step is to develop therapies that kill remaining cancer cells by cutting off the fuel supply or blocking the raft of genes that regulate the uptake and use of glucose. But unfortunately, blocking the melanoma's glucose supply was not as simple as eating less sugar. Your brain and heart and all your other tissues need sugar. So that's not a viable proposition. What we want to do is target a very specific use of glucose in cancer cells. And uh, they went on to say these cancers are notoriously difficult to treat. Melanoma has a tendency to drop seeds into the bloodstream and lymphatics that can lay dormant for years before reactivating. I certainly never knew that. The seeds are hard to detect and hard to eradicate. Once reactivated, they are adaptable and resist chemotherapy that is effective for other types of cancer. Although modern drugs were able to shrink tumors, he said, they usually did not disappear completely. The remaining residual tumor over time finds a way to resist the chemotherapy and then rebounds back. So rather than a cure, these treatments prolong life by anywhere up to a year or two, and then the patient ultimately succumbs to the melanoma. We have a friend from Philadelphia who would say succumbs. Cancer biologist Darren Sanders, a laboratory head at the So-and-So Institute in Australia, we don't really care about the name, said that the study was an important step forward in the development of new combination therapies. This study has identified a potential new avenue and proof of concept for using BRAF inhibitors in combination with drugs targeting glycolysis, he said. Glycolysis is a particular arm of cellular metabolism that converts sugar 
glucose into energy and building blocks for new cells. There's a rapidly emerging understanding of how cancer cells reprogram their metabolism to use fuels like sugar, fats, and amino acids differently than normal cells. This reprogramming is highly attractive target for new therapies and the subject of intense research interest. Well, that was 2014. I know that takes forever for research and for new drugs and for new drugs to be tested and tested and tested and eventually approved for use by humans. So we will uh, hopefully be seeing some results of uh, successes in the laboratory and in clinical trials uh, against melanoma sooner rather than later, because that was uh, eight years ago. So here's another article I ran across. And I found it moderately interesting, and it's called, uh, well, the, the headline is The Annual Physical Reimagined. Tech tools are changing checkups and fostering more collaborative doctor-patient relationships. Uh, my relationship with doctors is to stay away from them as much as I can. Um, but I think this is why people like Randy and I get married, because then our spousal units order us to uh, have interactions with doctors more frequently than we otherwise would. And maybe that prolongs our lives. We don't really know. So the article goes on to say, even if you conscientiously show up every year for a checkup with your primary care doctor, that 30-minute appointment is a mere speck of time to discuss and manage your overall health. But technology is steadily reshaping these doctor-patient interactions. Thanks to home monitors, smartwatches, and other wearable tech, patients are increasingly bringing their own data to physical exams, adding valuable context to time-limited office visits, and uh, this technology also represents both pluses and pitfalls. It's really an exciting time because patients can be co-creators of their health and health care. Um, even the sickest patients don't come in that often. As doctors, we're responsible for the health of our patients, but we can't accomplish that just from the data we gather in the office. <clears throat> Patients need to be part of that information gathering so we can take better care of them. Most useful data. An estimated 7 in 10 people worldwide use mobile devices, fueling a predicted $90 billion mobile healthcare market that includes activity trackers, smartwatches, and even tricked-out rings. This wearable tech typically records data on heart rate, step count, activity levels, and sleep details. This is all pretty new stuff, ladies and gentlemen. This was uh, in the Harvard Women's Health Watch from July of 2022. <clears throat> so that is a very, very recent uh, uh, evaluation of the doctor acquisition of knowledge about their patients. It goes on to say, vastly more patients are coming into us with data they've collected from different sources. I think it will only continue to increase, but the most common types of data patients contribute to checkups and that clinicians can act on, the most common types don't come from so-called wearables, uh, home blood pressure monitors, glucometers, which measure blood sugar, and electronic scales still supply the most useful information, helping doctors tweak medication dosages and lifestyle recommendations. We tell patients with high blood pressure to check uh, check it a couple of times a week 
and bring a list of measurements to their next visit. Uh, by wearables, let's see, oh, but wearables cannot yet record this information, and the type of data they do track, like step counts or sleep details, isn't necessarily something we can incorporate into your health plan. While this doctor agrees that patients' use of wearable tech represents a turning point, he hasn't yet seen a real impact on healthcare. <laughs> I want to uh, I want relevant and actionable information from these devices. Right now, they're more of a toy from a fitness perspective. And the next uh, section is entitled Tracking Heart Rhythm. When the FDA cleared the Apple Watch in 2018 to be paired with an app to detect irregular heart rhythms, the device and other smart watches that followed suit could notify. Mm, wow. The device could notify. Continued on page seven. Oh, there it is. Uh, the device could notify wearers that they might have atrial fibrillation or AFib, potentially dangerous quivering of the heart muscles that can lead to blood clots. <clears throat> Since then, uh, these doctors occasionally hear from patients whose watches have alerted them to this scary possibility. But research has found low accuracy rates for the Apple Watch AFib alerts. A 2020 study published in Circulation, indicates that the Apple Watch Series 4 correctly identified AFib in 41% of wearers, up from 34% in an earlier version. This uh, doctor who wrote the article says he listens carefully before he decides whether follow-up tests such as a, an ECG, electrocardiogram, <clears throat> or long-term cardiac monitoring are warranted. When patients tell me they're having palpitations and their watch says their heart rate is in the 200s, certainly that's very useful and actionable, he says, but it's uh, going to help me understand this is something I have to pay attention to. Pros and cons. Patient-generated health data isn't without pitfalls, including a lack of adequate health insurance coverage. Insurers will often pay for glucometers or home blood pressure devices, but don't expect help paying for your smartwatch. Unfortunately, they're not even reimbursing us for reviewing data coming in from our patients. Another downside, some patients become overly focused on recorded health-related details, which can skew the results. Sometimes patients come with reams of blood pressure readings. They're driving themselves crazy. It frightens their, it heightens their anxiety. Overall, though, physicians appreciate the reimagined checkups and how empowered patients feel when they take charge of their health. I'm a big fan of methods to expand the, the reach of healthcare outside of the office visit, this particular doctor said. And uh, the original doctor agrees, but he notes that tech hasn't reimagined every aspect of a yearly checkup. What hasn't changed is that the annual visit is an opportunity for us to get to know our patients and their lives and their health in a way that we can't really do by any other means, he says. And it shouldn't change because they're, uh, because we'd lose something very important. So anyway, uh, they're, <laughs> they're not completely married to the idea of using wearable tech to uh, gather the vital signs and the historical data, but apparently that's coming closer like all things. I'm sure that passage of time, investment of uh, money, R&D into these um, uh, technological wonders will improve their accuracy. So Randy, I think I did a pretty good job of staying within our 
uh, goal of uh, just over 20 minutes. You did. Uh, Absolutely. I need, a, I need to do that more, more frequently. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, obviously, uh, there's one more thing that popped into my head, and we don't need to discuss it at any great length today. But uh, as medical or what, what should we call those uh, personal medical tracking devices or, you know, like the, Apple Watch and that kind of thing? Yeah, they use the term I, wearable I, tech. I don't know. If that's That oh, doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? I'm I'm curious as to what HIPAA is going to have to say about all that. Well, yeah, that's right because privacy is everything, according to Ted Kennedy and the uh, the lawyers who threatened doctors and hospitals with HIPAA violation fines. So you're right. There's yeah, going to be there's going to have to be some modification of going to have to be something going on there. But anyway. That's for another day's discussion, but I, I obviously I'm a techie, so I'm all in. I'm all about that stuff. But we need to thank our folks today, the ones that uh, could have been doing many other things, and they weren't. They were listening to us on the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast, which we certainly appreciate. Yes, because we do. it's so much more fun with them as without them. No so, kidding. Have I already done? I did some of the, the stuff. You did some of it. The, now I never get tired yeah. of hearing it, but others may. Oh, well, so, let, let's so just, the short. Let's the short version is probably what you want to. Well, you do whatever you want. This is your time let's to shine. Just, let's just do it, right, Doug? Ask him questions that we haven't touched on over the course of the last three years. DBJ at MLMMailbag.com. Get your book, get your audio, get your electronic version via Kindle. Get any combination thereof. But thank you for joining us. You have just spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy, your Medicare wingman, originally from Oklahoma, but now living in the Fortress of Solitude right outside Cave Creek, Arizona. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>